Uh, this week, I had the pleasure of uh, starting a new Explore God after lunch group at the building where I work, and I actually had people show up. I was shocked because I wasn't expecting anybody. In fact, I had a plate full of cookies and tea and coffee that I was planning to enjoy all on my own. And people actually came because I invited them and the Lord paved the way for them to come and find it as a safe place. So I had three people join me from the office across the hall. And uh, one of them is an unbeliever who doesn't follow Jesus. One of them is a believer who's been disconnected from the church for 20 years. And one of them is a believer who attends a Catholic church in the area. We had a great conversation about purpose and about meaning and about what life looks like. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do in that setting and excited to see what God's going to do in your group if you're in one. I'd encourage you if you're not in one to find one or consider creating one because God is using these conversations to do some pretty amazing things. So today we're talking about the very raw question, is there a God? And this is a legitimate question. I don't know any human being alive who at one point or another hasn't asked that question. And even as Christ followers, people who frequent the church and hang out in the church, we find ourselves sometimes taking our faith for granted and being sort of afraid to step back and ask scary questions like that. As if when we ask a question like, is there a God? God's going to find us and call us out. Something like, oh, you claim to be a Christian and go to church, but now you're questioning my existence. Hmm, that's a bit of a conflict of interest for you, isn't it? But God doesn't take that position. In fact, God loves us so much, he gives us the bandwidth to be able to ask him anything, including God, are you there? God, are you real? Uh, is this just a waste of my time? Or is there something true and legitimate to my faith? So today, as we kind of dive into this question, I want to share a couple of quotes from uh, some kids who actually wrote in to talk to God about whether or not he is real. And I'll start with the first one here. Uh, there's a young lady who says, uh, Dear God, I read the Bible. What does begat mean? Nobody will tell me. Hmm, wonder why not. And then Frank says, God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family and I can never do it. <laughs> Say amen and amen if you can identify with that sentiment. And then Larry says, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. And thanks be to God that works in our household as well. But then if you look around yourself and you walk around in nature, you see little snippets of creation, the idea of creation come to light. And even if you don't believe there's a God and don't believe that God created anything, and then all this beauty of nature, the ocean, the prairie, um, out in the, the west with the beautiful mountains and the reds and the blues and the whites and the greens, even if you don't believe some intelligent being created all this stuff, it makes you wonder and it makes you ask questions. And in fact, for us, we want to take a look at it 
this way. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what? From what has been made. So for those of us who follow Jesus and believe there's a God, the fact that there is evidence around us is not a surprise. We can look at that evidence and say, oh, God is behind that. But what if I don't have the faith? What if I don't have the belief system that a Christ follower has? And I look around me for evidence of something and I don't see God behind that. How do we handle that? How do we, how do we see the truth of what that stuff really is made of and where it came from? What I'd ask you to do is, uh, and I don't ask you guys to do this very much, so I'd ask that you would indulge me in this. I'd ask for you to find a partner that you aren't married to and look into that person's eye. We're going to take a minute and do that and just get super awkward for a minute. Can we do that? I want you to find somebody that you're not married to, and I want you to look at that person's eye close enough to see what color it is. Let's take a minute and do that right now. Now, the reason I'm doing that, I see people craning necks all over the congregation here. The reason I'm doing that is because God made us, uh, we believe in the church, God made us unique and individual as little snowflakes, the joke goes, right? Or our fingerprints being as unique as we are as individuals. And in fact, our eyes are unique, but the world around us that doesn't believe in God has questions because there are little evidences of variability in what we see around us that cause us to ask, how did this stuff come to be? And as you gathered up and found a partner and looked into that person's eye, just shout out what color that person's eye was. One, two, three. Oh yeah, we got them all in the room. And so maybe your partner could identify with one of the eyes pictured up here on the screen, lots of beautiful creative eyes. We would look at that as followers of Jesus and say, man, how could you not believe that a powerful and amazing God created all of that beauty down to the very smallest level just a couple minutes ago, we looked at all these scenes from nature, all these big landscapes, and now we're looking at things as small as human eyes and seeing the beauty of them. In the church, sometimes we're tempted to take that for granted. We know that God created it, but the, the unbelieving world around us doesn't know that and has questions. So what we're talking about today is the chief of those questions. Is there a God? And if there is one, how do we know? How do we know? Creation gives us lots of opportunities in the church. But if we're not in the church, we have questions. And perhaps even if we are in the church, we have questions about how and why and what God's trying to accomplish. I'd like you to take a look at this video just for a minute for There's perspective. There's a whole bunch of natural phenomenon that, but that you know, religious people used to just attribute to God. Uh, you know, it, Thunder is the sky god getting angry or, or whatever. And now we have scientific explanations for this. We know exactly how thunder works. We know how lightning works. We know how clouds form. We know, uh, you know, to choose a biblical example, why there's a rainbow. It's because of a, the prism effect, right, of, of moisture in the atmosphere. 
And so it can feel like there's no need for God anymore because we've got scientific explanations for all this. Uh, however, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of questions science has opened up that actually didn't exist in pre-modern times or pre-scientific times that are even harder to answer than why is there thunder or why is there a rainbow? And that's a question like, for example, why does the universe have a beginning? Because uh, for a long time, uh, in the kind of early modern era, people just assumed it was steady state. The universe had always been there. Uh, so there was no need for a creator because you didn't have a beginning. Uh, and then you get the prediction of the Big Bang, uh, that there actually was a beginning, and then you get experimental confirmation of the Big Bang uh, through the background radiation and so forth. And you realize now we have to explain why there's something rather than nothing. And that is not a science, there is no scientific answer to that. There's a scientific answer to why is the sky blue or why is there thunder, but there is no, there, you can't form a scientific question uh, about why there's something rather than nothing. Science can't get there. Uh, another one is consciousness. Human beings are aware of ourselves, and other creatures even seem to have a little bit of this, aware awareness. And we're, ask, we're in the world asking questions of the meaning of the world, and we do things like mathematics, right? We start uh, doing math, and we find out that the math that somebody cooked up on a blackboard or on, on a, in a notebook somewhere connects to the the, the way the universe actually works. Why in the world does math work? Why, why do we have the kinds of brains that can come up with math that actually describes the universe? Uh, th that is not a scientific question, but it's a question that we only have now because we see how well math works for explaining the world. Uh, so in that sense, I think it's, uh, there are some questions that have been answered and that we don't need religion to sort of answer at a, at a physical level. But then there are other questions raised by science that now there's no way to answer them as scientists. We have to have a, a philosophical or a theological answer to them. And so in a way, it's, uh, it's, it's just the questions that have changed. And, and in, in many ways, it's gotten harder not to believe that there's some kind of rationality, some kind of purpose, some, some kind of consciousness cosmically that corresponds to what we see around us in human beings and in the world that we've been given. Yeah, so what Andy is talking about there, uh, to my mind, when I saw that, is the idea that God allows and even supports distinctions. And Andy was talking about the idea that, uh, that, that when you step back and, and you look at the way things work, and you understand the science of what's been, what we believe has been created by God, and you step back a, about a, a few feet from that and just take a look, science doesn't answer the question of why there was nothing and then there's something. Now think about that for a minute. On a Sunday morning in a, a snowy atmosphere outside with a couple of cups of coffee, we might have to dig a little bit deeper to think that through. But the idea becomes this. The idea is that there are answers out there that we will never know until we get to heaven and spend time with God. But there are answers that we can know that are wrapped up in God that we can find and enjoy here during this life. And those answers are not scary and neither should be the questions that precede them.
questions like, why are we here? And why is there something, in other words, me, this flesh, this body, my life, why am I here where before there was nothing? Before creation, there was nothing. Take a look at, at one of these distinctions we were just talking about. This is from C.S. Lewis. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. Now, I want you to think about this. Open your mind to the base idea, the philosophy of this for a moment. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which has no experience in this world, this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for what? Yet another world. There's a distinction that's made in what has been created, from what we believe has been created. There's a distinction that's made that can only be answered by um, the reality around us, what we would consider to be creation around us. The fact that certain things exist lend themselves to answer the question, well, why are they here and why were they made? Uh, this guy you probably recognize from TV and movies, Dennis Quaid, uh, recently became a follower of Jesus. But here's an experience he relays about desire and about the fulfillment of that desire. And I'm going to paraphrase. Growing up in the 60s and 70s, he found himself in Hollywood and found drug use more prolific at that time, even where they would program drug use and funding it into the movie budgets that he was participating in. He says he was doing cocaine pretty much every day in the early 80s. And he found himself at one point screaming at God to take this away. What he calls a white light experience where he saw himself either dead or losing everything that meant anything to him. He found himself calling out to a God he didn't know because in his desperation and in his addiction to substances, there's something in his soul that needed something more than what he had. There was a longing that was created there that could only be satisfied by something other than what he was indulging in. And we can find pretty universally among all people that there is something of a void there that can only be filled by the one who made us, by the one who created us. But if we don't believe in that entity, if we don't believe in God, then where does that leave us? It simply leaves us looking at the desires of our life, looking at the situation in which we find ourselves, and asking questions. Why? Why do I feel the way I do? Why am I behaving the way I'm behaving? When I am choosing to do something that the world calls wrong, why am I choosing to do that? What is it I am hoping to fulfill? What desire is it that I'm hoping to meet and achieve? And in a similar way, there's another distinction when we talk about right and wrong. Uh, Dostoevsky says, if God does not exist, everything is permitted. I want you to think about this for a second. If there is no God, then there's no morality. If there is no God, then we could literally just do whatever we want. So if you take the idea and let it play out that God does not exist, and then everything that you see around you that we believe has been created really wasn't created by an intelligent being, but rather just came about by luck, then what is there to keep us from absolutely annihilating each other at will? 
Well, you could say the law, the civil law or the criminal law. Question for you. Have people perpetrated crime without being caught? Yeah. Could you do it? Yeah, you could. Could I do it? Absolutely. I could commit a heinous crime before I even got home for lunch today and probably not be caught. What is to keep us from doing that? There's an innate sense of something in us that keeps us from committing wrong because we have this idea that certain things are wrong and certain things are right. And if we didn't have that idea, we could just run amok. But I would suggest that even the most staunch unbeliever, the person who is seeking or searching, and in fact, if you're listening by podcast and you don't believe in Jesus or any of this God stuff, you would probably agree to the idea that there is a sense of right and wrong in you. And that that distinction is not there on accident. The question for us each becomes this, where did that distinction come from? And we're okay asking that question. We're okay wandering through that distinction. Those of us who follow Jesus rely on the Bible for some wisdom in this area. And in 1 John 1, it says this, this is the message we heard from our leader, our savior Jesus, and now declare to you the whole world. God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. This is an absolute in a world of relativity. There's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God and know God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth in that way. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have what? Fellowship with each other. That is, that word fellowship is an intimacy. It's like being family. It's like knowing each other well enough to be able to finish each other's sentences which can only come with time spent in vulnerability with each other. Wouldn't you say? And this exists not only for believers, but for those who don't believe. The Bible goes on and says, as God is in the light, we are in the light. We have this fellowship, this intimacy with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. We believe and teach and confess this here as a part of the church. This is something that a gentleman we celebrate this weekend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., knew all too well and preached on all the time. This is one of his favorite quotes. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. That distinction was clear. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And in moments of intense adversity, when people were putting their hands on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., physically pushing him back from practicing what he learned from Gandhi, which is passive resistance, not being violent or forcing his way, but simply being present and showing the distinction to people around him that he is created by God, loved by them, just as much as everyone else is and deserves to be loved and included and appreciated just like everyone else is as he stood up for that distinction and drew that line in the sand he had opposition against him but the idea that God had created him and given him a, an awareness and a wisdom 
in the direction of that understanding caused him to do things that you and I would likely not do. And that is to be arrested, to be abused, and finally to be murdered for what he believed in. One of my other favorite quotes of Dr. King is this one, I've decided to stick with love because hate is too big a burden to bear. He saw the distinction between love and hate. He saw those distinctions as the same stark distinction between light and darkness, between day and night. And he knew that he had a choice. He knew that his choice was to either believe there was a God or not, to believe in light or not, even though the light was shining in his face, to believe in love or the absence of love, hate, and to make that choice. And as he made that choice, he led a generation of people, not only African-Americans, but also other races, to understand what the distinction between love and hate is. And where he learned this undeserved love and this idea that so many have questions about, like how could someone love while being persecuted at that level? How could someone give his life not only while he's living, but also when he is dying? Dr. King was shot. His life was ended early. But how could someone do that? How could someone put himself in the way of harm in order to demonstrate the difference between love and hate, between light and darkness? That undeserved love is all too clear when we look at the life of Jesus. Look at what St. Paul says about this dynamic. He says, for you, Galatians 5.13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy yourself or your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. How? In love. A love that doesn't look inward on oneself, but a love that looks at the fact that you are created and loved by a God who is real and who has given you the opportunity and the power to love other people in a way that is sacrificial, in a way that causes us to lay down our lives only to do what? Pick them up again and again and again. The Bible says in verse 14, Galatians 5, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Did Martin Luther King love his neighbor as himself? When he was standing arm in arm with other people, walking the streets and pushing forward peacefully, was he loving his neighbor as himself? When he was defying the police and being arrested and put in jail time and time again, was he loving his neighbor as himself? Yes, he was. Because the distinction that he drew caused people to stop and think whether they were for him or against him. And the distinction he drew was about love and hate, darkness and light. Do you know, back to the question of, is there a God? Is there a God? You can find the evidence you're looking for in regards to whether or not there is a God. But for those of us who believe there is a God, 
and believe that our lives are because of him and for him, we have the ability to interact with people who don't. And in fact, when we place ourselves in front of them, we are loving them as ourselves. Just by interacting with someone who doesn't believe in God, we are participating in what God is doing in the world. So when you find yourself rubbing elbows with somebody who doesn't believe in God, don't be afraid, don't cringe, don't draw back. In fact, in a reserved way, do the opposite. Embrace, draw close, serve, give. And what you'll find yourself doing is participating in what God is doing in that person's life. Drawing a distinction between love and hate. Showing them that they are a God who, uh, they are loved by a God who in fact made them. That may be all the distinction they need to address that question with their whole heart. Is there a God? And see that the answer is yes. Your presence there may be all that's needed, all that's necessary, because in you, the Holy Spirit does his work to that end. Would you agree with that? Amen and amen. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to ask tough questions, and not only the opportunity to ask them as believers, but also to be around other people who are asking those questions as unbelievers or as people on the edge of belief. God, sometimes I don't trust you fully. I don't trust that you're able to take my questions with a whole heart and look at them and smile with love in your heart and say, yes, I hear your question. I understand how you feel and yet you stay. Sometimes I'm tempted to think that's not how you work. But God, if I look at the life of Jesus and those who follow him, including the life of Dr. King, who we celebrate this weekend, I know that that's not true. I know that you're a God who loves to hear from his creations, from his creatures. And we are those. Those of us who believe and trust you are, and those who don't believe and trust you are, your creatures. God, thank you for pouring your love and your light out into each one of our lives. Let us be conduits for your love and for your light, shining into the lives of those who have questions and are seeking and are searching to answer the question, is there a God? We know that you can answer it the way you do, and that is to bring love and light into darkness and hate and change them forever. So God, now as we come and worship, we ask that you would work in us and work in our hearts, change the way we see others, and change those conversations that we would have had this week without you. Continue to work in us as we rely upon you. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.